0: Invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to Psalm 115, Psalm 115, and we're going to be looking particularly at the first three verses of Psalm 115, but we're going to read the entire Psalm. We are, we don't know the specific historic context for this psalm, it's most likely written in a time when Israel is under the discipline of the Lord, possibly in exile, and the surrounding nations are taunting them, mocking them, where is your God? And this, this psalm is a wonderful response uh, to where their God is and who He is and what He is doing. Uh, let's begin then, Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any go down who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Well, God, you've given us this scripture so that we might see and understand who you are. We might know your ways and place our trust and our confidence, our joy, our delight in you, we need your Spirit to lead us into an experiential knowledge of these things, and so, Lord, we ask that your Spirit now would be at work as uh, the Word is opened, and we we'll give you the praise, not to us, but to your name. Give glory in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm sure that you are aware that we live in anxious times. Uh, we live in times where there is a, almost, you might say, an epidemic of anxiety. Uh, the American Psychiatric Association uh, did a poll recently, 2017, found that nearly two-thirds of those whom they polled were, quote, extremely or somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves and their families, and more than a third are more anxious overall than last year. That was 2017. They did it again in 2018 and found that another 5% increase. They also noted that millennials uh, are more Uh, anxious than others. Uh, Those who are really coming into the strength of their life were the ones who were the most anxious. Uh, Why so much anxiety in our world? Uh, Scholars would probably point to things like the breakdown of the family. Uh, They might point to economic distress. Uh, They might point to uh, political division, to social media, Uh, and all those things undoubtedly play a role. But I would suggest that the anxiety that we're seeing in our uh, society in general and in the church as well is, uh, is related, at least in part, to the, uh, the loss of a pervading sense of and confidence in the loving providence of a heavenly Father. Uh, it was interesting in the study, they noted that the wealthiest countries are the most anxious countries. And why would that be? Well, that's because in the wealthiest countries, people tend to be more self-reliant. In the wealthiest countries, they tend to be most secular. In the wealthiest countries, uh, people tend to have forgotten most acutely the reality of a God who is in heaven. That does not mean that um, (laughs) the... the, um, I don't want to suggest that the problems of life aren't uh, anxiety-producing or that they're not difficult. We... We face in this broken world things that are hard, real failures, real losses, real heartaches and, and brokenness. And it, and it might make sense to us then if, if, you would, if, you, if I were to ask you, well, why are you so anxious? Uh, it would maybe make sense to you to, to point to the circumstances of your life or the circumstances of what we see happening around us and, and say, well, why wouldn't I be anxious and the, and the answer is, um, the biblical answer is, there is a God in heaven who does as He pleases, and He is our Father in Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to look at the, the sovereignty of God, but the sovereignty of God exercised in His providential care for His children. Um, tonight, um, I'm going to just begin by reading from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, a very brief a thorough summary of what are we talking about when we talk about the uh, sovereign providence of God, and and it defines it this way, God, the, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. We believe, the Bible teaches, that everything that happens happens by the intentional, sovereign, ordaining, providential ruling of God, the creator of all things. The changing of the seasons is not just the... Uh, forces of nature at work. It is God at work. The falling of a sparrow isn't just a, ransom, uh, a random act or an incident. It's God at work. The hairs on your head falling out, right? That's God at work. That's what the Bible teaches, that God is ruling. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. As I said, we're not sure when the psalm was written. It's most likely written in a time of discipline for Israel. <clears throat> uh, the nations around them are observing uh, Israel uh, suffering, and uh, the, the nations are mocking them and saying to them, where's your, where's your God? Uh, wh- why doesn't your God help you? Why doesn't your God... Um, you say he's powerful, and yet, and yet you're struggling the way you are. You're, 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 you're in miserable condition. Where is your God? Um, a certain football game was played yesterday, and it left many uh, people uh, bemoaning. Where is our offense? Where is our defense? Uh, the nations were saying to Israel, "Where's your God?" And there are people in Israel who might be saying the same thing. Psalm forty-two: "Oh God, why why must I go about mourning all the day? Why why have you forgotten me? Where's our God?" And the magnificent answer of Psalm 115 is our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. So the three points that we'll look at tonight, first is where God is, secondly, who God is, and thirdly, what God is doing. Where God is, who God is, and what God is doing. The confession our God is in heaven, um, it means something significant that we might easily miss. When we think of God in heaven... We tend to think of heaven as a place that's far, far away. Uh, God in heaven means God is holy but removed. God is, is uh, not present and engaged. He's distant. Well, when the Israelites talked about heaven, they uh, thought of a place of rule and sovereignty and, um, and power. Heaven was considered a functioning part of the cosmos, a functioning part of the world. So that, um, it's, it's sort of like when we think of Washington, D.C. It's a, it's a long ways away, but if you say, well, that's, that's coming straight out of Washington, D.C., well, that's the place of power, and that, that means, that's significant. If it comes out of Washington, D.C., it has a certain authority to it, and it's going to impact you. Well, heaven, then, is a functioning part of the cosmos, To say that our God is in heaven means that in the throne room of the cosmos, uh, that's where you'll find our God. Where is your God, Israel? Uh, he's He's in the throne room. He's ruling over everything. He's ordaining all things. A great example of this confession is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The Israelites are being attacked by a much superior force. They don't have a chance. They don't know what to do. King Jehoshaphat leads the people in a prayer, and he begins this way, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. That is a fundamental conviction of a Christian that this world is not operating by chance or fate and the circumstances of our life are not just consequences or random accidents, but everything is, in fact, ordained and governed by God who is in heaven. Now, I know that if I were to ask you, uh, do you believe that? I think every one of you would say, yes, we believe that God is in heaven. The, the, The important question is, is that a functioning faith? So when the careless driver cuts you off on the expressway, do you say to yourself, my God is in heaven? Please raise your hand. I'd like, to, <laughs> I'd like to talk to you. We should. Our, our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases, and he ordains every event of our life. Are you able in, in a moment of disappointment or grief or loss to turn and rest upon the fact that the circumstance that has affected you is there in your life by the sovereign hand of God? God? Where is your God? Is He just kind of tracking after you, trying to clean up the mess, trying to uh, uh, do the best He can to keep you from destroying things? Or is, is your God in heaven? actually ruling over this world and ordaining everything that happens so that when you see events and circumstances unfolding all around you, whether it be national headlines or something that's taking place at work or in your home or family, you're able to see that as the evidence that my God is in heaven. My God is in heaven, and He does all that He pleases. So that, first of all, where is your God? And then secondly, who is your God? Because, you see, if we're going to take comfort in this, we can't just have a sort of a flat statement of uh, where God is. The comfort comes from knowing not only where He is, but who He is. And the psalmist tells us that our God is in heaven. And, and that makes all the difference in the world. Our God is in heaven. That little pronoun changes everything. Imagine uh, you have two people talking about a child, uh, a child who's in grave danger, maybe a child who's lost in the woods. And, and that little pronoun, our, makes all the difference. You see, it, it, it matters whether you're talking about a child who is lost in the woods or you're talking about our child who's lost in the woods. Two completely different things. Uh, in, on a positive uh, scale, you could say, if you're talking about a million dollars, it, it's a big difference if you're talking about a million dollars um, or you're talking about our million dollars. Right? It's going to make a, quite, a, quite a difference. Hopefully you understand the difference. <clears throat> well, the Bible teaches us that we can attach these three letters, right, O-U-R, to something infinitely more valuable than a million dollars. We get to attach that pronoun, possessive, personal, to God. Our God is in heaven. Our God. Psalm 95, O oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. That's an amazing thing to say. It means that, you see, we are fundamentally not alone in this world and that the God who made everything and the God who ordains all things is your God. And so he's exercising his sovereign power and his infinite wisdom and his perfect skill all for your benefit, for your eternal benefit. How do we know that? Well, because of what he does. Our God, our God is in heaven, and He does as He pleases. I want you to see two things about this First, just to see the glorious freedom of God. You see, the the nations are challenging Israel. Um, Where is your God? And the reason they're asking that question is because the nations have an assumption about what gods are supposed to do, what gods are for. Gods are for the benefit of those who worship them. Uh, so, so, Baal, as, uh, as Wayne pointed out last week, uh, last Sunday, uh, Baal has one job, that's to make it rain. And, he's, it, and that's his job because people need the rain. So, Baal exists to serve the people. That's what gods are for. That's why people make gods. That's why they worship gods. That's why they give God gifts, so that, that gods will do what we need them to do for our benefit. Well, what is true about the, the false, fake, useless, worthless gods of men. It is not true about the God of heaven. Uh, The God of heaven does not exist to serve the interests of men. Uh, The God of heaven exists to serve his own glorious purpose. What is your God doing, Israel? He's doing exactly as he pleases. He is serving his glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Our God is not a a, a bondservant of men to serve the interests of men. He does as He intends, as He pleases. This is God's own revelation of Himself. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, I am God, and there's no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I will do all that I please. I hope hope that um, excites you, maybe convicts you, How much of our disappointment in God isn't rooted in a fundamental misunderstanding of what he is for? He's not there to be your life coach. He's not there to be your emotional support and and, and, and encourager. It's not why he exists fundamentally. He exists for the glory of his name. And so, one of the most, in fact, I think it's the most repeated phrase in the Westminster Confession of Faith is some form of, and it pleased God. Because if we're going to talk about this world, we're going to talk about salvation, we don't understand it unless we understand it as coming from God according to the purpose and the pleasure of God. So if we ask the question, why does God do what he does? What is the principle directing divine providence? The first answer is the pleasure of God. He does what pleases him. Psalm 135, verse 6. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Now, we recognize... Uh, that, would be petul- uh, that would be that would be—that would incredible arrogance, or uh, on the part of a person, right? If you—if you say to someone, uh, "Why did you do that?" and they said, "Because I wanted to," you, you, you think, well, "Who does this person think they are?" It's unbelievable, uh, grotesque pride. But you see, when God says it, it's—it's. It's exactly right. When you say to God, why did you do this? And God says, because I wanted to do it. It pleased me to do it, to magnify the glory of my name. Our response should be, perfect, exactly. Praise the Lord. That's the sentiment of the psalm. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. To your name give praise, not to us, but to you. That's the, that's the point. It's why God does what he does. So God does not exist contrary to the false assumptions of the pagan nations. He does not exist to serve Israel. He does not exist to glorify Israel. They exist to glorify him. And if you are someone who has the Holy Spirit at work in your life, he will lead you in that direction. The Holy Spirit at work in your life will make you realize there is a vastly greater joy in a God who does what He pleases rather than a God who exists to serve your pleasures. Because, because you'll recognize that you don't, you don't know what is best. You don't know what is most good. You don't know what most glorifies God, but He does. And your heart's deepest desire is that God gets the glory. You you sense what a waste your life would be if you lived the whole life, and the only glory God got from you was the glory of judging you to the hell that you deserve. If the Spirit is at work in you, this this will be deeply satisfying to know that God is in heaven, our God is in heaven, and that our God does what He pleases because, you see, you'll also, by the work of the Holy Spirit, be convinced that it pleases God to bless you and protect you and save you and deliver you. Because that's what the Bible tells us. You see, God does all that he pleases. And the question we want to ask him is what pleases God in relation to people like us? What pleases God in relation to your life and my life? And the, and the gospel answers that it's, it pleases God to glorify His name in doing good to His people. God's pleasure is to glorify His name in doing good to His people. Jeremiah 32:41, God says this about the new covenant in which we live: "I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. I will rejoice in doing them good. You know, Psalm 23, most of you maybe know it by heart. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you know the word follow is maybe more accurately uh, translated as uh, pursue? And so, goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy is running after you. It's chasing you down. And if it weren't, you would not be a Christian. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus says to his followers, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter one about the good pleasure of God in Ephesians one. In fact, why don't you turn there as we're coming to the end here. Let's just go to Ephesians chapter one. I want you to see this for yourself. This is such a wonderful wonderful truth. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm picking it up in the middle of verse 4. The versification here is off, but we're going to pick it up. In love he predestined us. Notice what Paul says. In love he that is God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. The word translated there, purpose, can also be translated as to take pleasure or delight in. In other words, what Paul is saying is is that God... It was not merely God's intention to adopt you as his forever child. It was his desire. It was his his good pleasure. It pleased him to adopt you, to make you his very own child, and to lavish grace upon you in Jesus Christ because he loved you. And it pleased him, because in this, you see, it would all redound to, to your eternal salvation, which redounds to the praise of his glorious grace. That, is, that is, has to be the functioning faith of a Christian who wants to experience peace. That not only is my God in heaven, but my God in heaven is my Father in heaven. And my Father in heaven who oversees every detail of my life, loves me. It was his pleasure to adopt me. It gives him great joy. He rejoices to bless me. And God has given us proof in Christ. One of the things that uh, I'm just amazed about um, this, this text, Psalm 115 you know about the Last Supper. Jesus, uh, the night before he was betrayed, he gathers his disciples and they eat the Passover meal together. And, and Jesus reminds them of the new covenant, the covenant that's going to be sealed in his blood, where God will, will, will be a God to sinners through Jesus Christ. And, and after supper, we're told that they sang a psalm and went out to the Mount of Olives. Do you know what psalm they sang? They almost certainly sang Psalm 115. It was the psalm Psalm sung at the end of the Passover meal. This is the last song Jesus sang with his disciples as he went to the cross. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Oh, why do the nations say, Where is our God? What a question to ask as the Son of God approaches the cross to bear the sins of men, where is your God? My God is going to a cross to give His life for me. And because, you see, my God went to a cross, I can have the confidence that my Father is in heaven. And that's, of course, how Jesus taught us to pray. He doesn't teach us to pray our God who is in heaven. He says, Pray this way Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the deepest truth and desire of a Christian who wants to live in peace. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where is my God? My God is, is in heaven. He's my Father. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And He is saving me for the glory of His name. That's where my God is. Boys and girls, I want you to imagine that it was your birthday, a very important birthday, maybe your 10th. I don't remember. know why for sure, but my 10th birthday stands out to me it as it was a big deal. Maybe just two digits and you're, you're, you're arriving. So imagine it's your 10th birthday, all right? And you're, you're expecting good things. You're expecting this is going to be a special occasion, and uh, the, the gift is probably going to be quite something. <clears throat> but when it comes time to your party, there's no present to be found, at least not that you can see. There's cake, maybe some balloons, a um, few of your friends, but there's no present. But then your, your dad, your mom comes to you and, and uh, takes you by the hand and says, okay, come here, and they take a blindfold and they put it around your eyes so you can't see. And then they take you by the hand and they begin to lead you into the backyard. Uh, boys and girls, I, I just want you to think, how would you feel at that moment? Would you be afraid? I mean, you can't see anything. Well, you probably wouldn't be afraid because your mom or your dad has you by the hand so that you don't fall. And they're leading you. So even though you can't really see where you're going, you know they can see, and you're just, you're willing to follow along. Are you, are you, uh, is there fear as you're going out into the backyard? Probably not. Because you sense that something really good is about to happen. And uh, you saw the smile on your mom's face when she put the blindfold on. And so you're expecting any moment that you're going to get into the backyard and the blindfold is going to be taken off, and it's going to be awesome. Well, friends, um, we live life in the shadows. We have the blindfold on. We see through a glass darkly. God has told us that he has something very, very special. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It is my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And, and so, as we walk through this life, it's, it's, it can be hard. We don't, we don't really know where we're going, but, but, but we don't have to be afraid because we know that our Father has us by the hand. He's not going to let us fall. He's not going to lead us into blind alleys. And we are then able or called to walk with great anticipation that, that there's something extraordinarily good that is waiting for us. Because our Father has promised it to us. He's promised it. And He is able, you see, because our God, our Father is in heaven and He does all that He pleases and it pleases Him to rescue you, to save you, to bring you into the presence, His own presence without spot and with great joy. It pleases Him to do that and so the call then is trust Him. Trust Him. With the real circumstances of your life, trust him. He has you by the hand. He's leading you to the gift, the glory of his own presence. Our God, our Father is in heaven, and he does all that he pleases. And if it pleased him to give his own son, to make us his adopted children, then how will he not also with him graciously, freely, and gladly give us all things we need for our eternal joy. Let's trust Him. Amen. God in heaven, what an amazing gospel truth that you are pleased to save sinners like us and that you are pleased, Lord, to do that work even today if there are any here tonight who do not know you as a heavenly Father who loves them. I pray, oh God, that you would lead them into that firm conviction as they call out in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that you want us to have this assurance that you have us by the hand, that you will never let us go, that nothing will separate us from your love, and that, Lord, though that we don't understand and we can't see, and it's hard and sometimes scary, we don't have to be anxious. We can confess that our Father is in heaven, he does all that he pleases, and it has pleased him to do all things for his glory and for our good. Oh God, I pray that that would not be a pat answer, but that would be a foundation we stand on, and that we would then live our life knowing that you are leading us every step of the way, every circumstance, every detail, so that we can praise and be at peace because you love us and you are in heaven. Thank you, God, that one day we will join you there. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, sing our uh, hymn, just confessing our our faith all the way. My Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside number six o five in the hymnal? Let's stand to sing. of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Until then, amen. Let's pray. May the peace
1: of God our Heavenly Father.